Greetings, everyone. Hope you're doing well today. Welcome back to another episode of the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Todd Stiles, one of the pastors here at First Family Church, and the Extra Point Podcast is all about looking back at the previous week's text and bringing some further application, some additional insight, um, deeper observation. And we have been on about a two to three week uh, binge on questions that came in from our time in Philippians 3, 1 through 11. And of course, this week will be no exception. We're going to tackle two questions that came in uh, from those weeks in Philippians 3, 1 to 11. So let me just dive into the first question here. Uh, This person asks, how can we best disciple young believers as parents, especially ages 6 to 10? Now, that's a pretty broad question. Maybe you're wondering how that came out of Philippians 3. I think if I can understand the heart of the questioner, um, they're hearing um, at least uh, two messages. Perhaps they're referring to the first one in which we talked about, um, you know, salvation being an exclusive, um, you know, it's a gift from God through faith in Christ. It's exclusive and and that there's, there's not a ounce of our trying that goes into this equation. It's all about trusting Jesus. And so I'm thinking that the questioners is, is wondering, like, how can we lead our young, impressionable children to that place, especially in an environment where, you know, at those ages where they're learning to work and they're learning uh, to be responsible and they're seeing and feeling and hearing, um, you know, the right kind of message about uh, reaping and sowing, about, uh, you know, um, there's discipline, there's punishment if you do wrong. Uh, often there's incentives or rewards if you do right. I mean, some of those things in their proper place are effective. So maybe they're asking themselves, how can we continue to maintain a no-trying mentality when it comes to our salvation with these impressionable young children? How can we best disciple them to that end? And I think it's a good question. It's really broad. I'm going to assume that's what was in their heart in this question. Let me make a couple of uh, maybe suggestions that might lean us in the right direction. Again, I mean, entire books and volumes have been written on this topic. But in regards to that specific, um, we'll call it uh, background or environment for the question, I would say just keep unconditional love uh, in clear focus, especially as you relate to your child. That doesn't mean you can't have incentives and you can't teach about systems where there's, you know, honest work for then honest pay and you can do allowance for chores. Those kind of things can still exist in an environment where unconditional love is um, what comes with being in the family. I would talk uh, in the right way at the right time about how someone, you know, came into your family. In other words, there was no effort. There wasn't bargaining um, on the behalf of the child, at least. And so you don't want to go into great detail here at this point. But, you know, when you, the child's in the family, they're in the family, they're loved, and uh, it is a gift. They didn't have to earn their way in. They don't, they don't have to earn their way to stay in. Uh, it is because of the unconditional love of the parents. It's one thing you can do in these ages to keep the idea of, of salvation being free of our effort. You can keep that in focus. Another good way is to read lots of Scripture. Um, I'm convinced, and the Bible teaches this, that Scripture is 
the seed, and so it's what produces the fruit of God's work in our lives. And so just early on, plant lots of seeds. I've said this for a number of years to our young parents here, that most of parenting is planting. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of like farmers, and so we plant, we plant, and a lot of times we we plant and we think that maybe by age eight or 11, we're going to see this massive vineyard or this massive harvest. And it doesn't mean you don't see some things, but I think in the, in the um, most honest and transparent way, I just want to say that most of parenting is planting. You're just planting in principles from God's Word. You're planting in God's Word, verses, passages, scriptures, through things like family worship, through notes, through times around, um, you know, meals. Just make sure that the Word of God and its practical um, ramifications are always part of your conversations. And of course, if you're doing this, then you're obviously going to be reading the gospel. You're going to be making much of God's love for us, uh, His sacrifice for us, and the uh, gift of righteousness that comes to all who believe. And so I would just get the Word of God into your children as much as you can. And the third thing I say is this, especially these ages, uh, I would even back it up from before six, but in these younger ages, I think the real motivating um, principle is the love of God. And sometimes we do, um, in our efforts to discipline well, train well, and to raise them upright, we sometimes can focus on the severity aspect. Um, I just want to encourage young parents, um, when your kids are really young, focus on and model and exemplify the unconditional love of God. And that'll come through the way you love your children. So love them unconditionally, but also talk about how God loves us unconditionally. Uh, This will be the greatest, uh, and can I use this word in the right way, attraction um, or reason for them to really long for the treasure of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will use the um, incomparable, unsurpassing love of God in their life to draw them to the cross to convict them of sin and to showcase the beauty and wonder of Jesus, even to children. And in childlike faith, they'll believe and they'll receive. So I just would encourage you, those are a couple of, um, you know, pointers or things that would help us lean into discipling younger children in view of the fact that salvation is a matter of simply trusting. How can we you know, parent our children to where trusting and not trying is their mindset. I hope those at least um, suggestions lean you into the right direction and point you to some even more ideas on your own or books you can read as you disciple those young children in your home. Our final question for today, it's this right here. I've heard you use the phrase sinner by nature and by choice. How do people hear this in relation to issues such as LGBTQIA plus issues? And I think what the questioner is asking is, and perhaps um, suggesting that I address, is uh, how does this phrase work with those who say, well, I was uh, born this way? In other words, homosexual um, desires and even practices then, or those who would say, well, it's okay to 
have unbiblical, immoral relationships, uh, same-sex relationships, or even adulterous, uh, opposite-sex relationships. It's okay because I was um, made this way. This is how God created me. The phrase that we are sinners by nature and choice does not give credence to that type of thinking or philosophy. I'd remind you, theologically, we are spiritually guilty as a result of our first father, Adam. We have been past a sinful nature, and every human being since Adam has received that, except Christ. He was born of a virgin, and I believe um, bypassed that sin nature and yet was fully man. Um, So we are spiritually guilty from birth on, and we're morally responsible because of our choices. And remember, that does not mean that our choices come from a well of freedom uh, or that, you know, our, our will is in some neutral zone and so we get to do whatever we want. Actually, from the moment of our birth, because we are conceived in sin, David said, our first choices um, then make us morally responsible for our actions because we do um, make our choices in light of the influence of our sinful nature. That's what is feeding our choices, especially even early on. And so understand, our will, even as a very young child, is being influenced, is being fed by our sinful nature, and so we then make sinful choices. But the Bible teaches that we are thus responsible for our sinful choices. We can't look back and say, well, this is Adam's fault. We are morally responsible as sinners. And so the idea that, well, if I'm a sinner by nature and choice, uh, if I was created and made, you know, if I was birthed in sin, conceived in sin, if that's the way it is from the from the get-go, and I'm morally responsible by my choices, spiritually guilty uh, because of Adam, if, if those things are true theologically, then why can't I just say, well, I was made this way? It's this, That reasoning doesn't hold true for any of our sins. So a murderer can't say, well, I was made this way, I just like to kill people. Uh, a An adulterer can't say, well, I like to have sex with lots of different people of the opposite sex, so I was just made this way. I had these desires. And so I think it's not only unbiblical, I think it's illogical, it's a fallacy, it's ludicrous for the homosexual community to say, hey, I was made this way. Uh, The Bible is clear about a sexual ethic. It's not hard to figure out. It's not hidden. It's not written in code. Admittedly, our culture doesn't like it, but there is a clear and present sexual ethic revealed in the Bible. And so we as Christians are to live in light of that, and so we can't find ways around it. This is simply one of the ways around clear biblical teaching. It's when the LGBTQIA plus community says, well, this is the way I was made, I was born this way. But that doesn't hold water any more than it does for any other type of sin or activity, or behavior prohibited in the Bible. We simply can't exempt ourselves from more responsibility because we were conceived in sin and morally responsible for our actions. We are guilty and responsible as human beings. And so that's true for all of us as sinners. 
And there's not a specific group that gets an out because they want to find a way to, to make their sin acceptable. That just doesn't exist. And I realize I'm speaking uh, in regards to this subject in a way that probably the vast majority of our culture thinks I'm out in left field. Uh, they may think I'm um, discriminatory. They may think I'm uh, a bigot. They may consider me, you know, that I don't like certain people. And none of that is true. Um, God's given me a love for all people, and I want all people to hear the good news of the gospel and experience the freedom Christ offers from sin of all types, uh, sexual sin in general, greed, pride. Uh, you can name your sins, and, and the ones I know that I, I struggled with, the ones that Christ freed me from, uh, all of those sins are the ones that uh, condemn us, and we are condemned by our nature and by our choices slash actions. But Christ has come to free us from both the condemnation, the power, and the um, penalty of sin. And one day when he returns, he'll free us from the very presence of sin. And that's what I take great joy in, is preaching this gospel that uh, declares and promises all who believe freedom from sin. And so instead of looking for freedom from sin by parsing phrases or turning around their definitions to mean certain things that really the Bible never says they should mean. Instead, let's realize, yes, we are sinners by nature and choice. We're spiritually guilty from Adam. We're morally responsible by our actions, and we are, we are accountable to our Creator. And the answer is not to change the rules or to uh, flip the definitions. The answer is to trust Jesus Christ. He is the only answer uh, to our sin problem, and I'm glad to say He's the eternal uh, once and for all answer. And it's Jesus Christ, the one who lived, died, and was raised again so that all who believe would be born.